Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Eat, Eat It, it up. up. Short and snappy, the way we like it. <laughs> well, how are you doing today, Maria? Nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. I'm doing fine okay. in this pandemic world, I oh, suppose. <laughs> oh, good. That everyone believes you, for sure, when you say you. that. Oh, yeah. Um, I do. I was telling you earlier, but I wanted to share it on this. Mm-hmm. I do have a Bumble story I want to share, and I'll toss it in wherever. Okay. But let me know when you're interested in hearing it. Whenever it's appropriate. <laughs> well, it definitely relates to the, the topic of this week's episode. <laughs> Which You're is the right. October That's crisis. That's why I bring it in. Yeah. <laughs> which is the October crisis, which I'm excited about. You're like, I actually matched with uh, an FLQ activist on Bumble. So. <laughs> so I'm ready to go. Are there any FLQ activists left or are they all just elderly? Well, we'll get into it. The formal oh. organization has kind of disbanded, but there's definitely people who like right. sympathize, I think, with whatever their ideology was then. Like, I'm sure there's people, there's right. people in Quebec who still generally... um would be sympathetic to their position or whatever, but True. they're not okay. like part of the org. The org is disbanded, but. Right. Okay. Okay. But, but I mean, I guess we're putting the, the cart before the horse here a little bit, aren't we? <laughs> Everyone's like, who we the are. hell's the FLQ? Like, what's, what's going the, on? What's that? How does that really talk to the crisis? Order. Don't worry. We'll get into it. We're, we're doing okay. We're doing Um, okay. What are you eating today, Maria? What's your, what's your snack? Cause okay. this is, this is a podcast, eat it up where we talk about <laughs> bites of history while mm-hmm. we're, we're snacking. Um, from local places in, in our communities. So I, I need to know yes. right now, what are you eating? Okay. So this week um, I went to Boca Grande, okay. which is in Ladner, beautiful area of town. My dad and I were driving through and we were like, oh, if we could live anywhere else, but where we live, this would be beautiful. So oh, okay. beautiful area. And they specialize, they kind of do a, a weird thing where they specialize in donuts and tacos. Mm-hmm. And so I went yesterday for donuts I know I did donuts last week. They wouldn't have been my first pick for this week, but my dad was like very convinced we were going. He was very excited to go. Right. So we went. Nice. And they're, they have like a bunch of little, like of different like flavor options. And a lot of them are either vegan or gluten-free. So they're really mm. like diet friendly for people who have like um, different diets. So I got like a box of 12 donuts today. I was going to buy the one that would be most French Canadian, but unfortunately it had bacon on it. So I can't, it was maple bacon. Mm. It was just maple. I could have got it, but the maple bacon I can't eat. So today I'm snacking on a honey lavender donut. Oh, yum. Okay. That sounds like a very nice flavor combo. Yeah. So I'm excited for it. Um, We have a whole box of 12, so hopefully it goes well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I hate this. (laughs) Um, but what are you snacking on today well thanks for asking i'm having a cupcake a a birthday cupcake from thimble cakes which is like a cupcake and cake place it's actually so cute it's on bank street in in ottawa like in centertown um it gives me cards vibes if anyone's ever been to kingston been to hard cards bakery it like the aesthetic is very that they don't have like i think the same kind of range they're they're much more cupcake focused but kind of like your place whatever it was called i forget the name no offense um boca <laughs> no offense but i hate you yeah no. uh, boca grande <laughs> boca grande okay it's like ariana grande's little little sister we never hear about boca <laughs> okay um okay stupid joke um no so it's it's um it's very like friendly for different like dietary needs so they have like oh, sweet yeah lots of like gluten-free whatever whatever like the the whole kind of um yeah. gamut of variations for for cupcakes so excited to try that 
Um, and obviously it has no relation to the October crisis whatsoever. No, today we're talking about the October crisis. Maria, do you know Woo-hoo. much about the October crisis? I honestly have to say I know nothing about the October crisis. Right. However, I did get it confused with the October revolution. Right. Which is uh, our crazy Russians right, back right, in right. like the early 20th century. But no, right. I know nothing about this October moment. Right. Okay. And, and the, the interesting thing about October too is that's when I was born in the month of October. Libras! So that wasn't the October... Fellow the, air sign. <laughs> air sign. So that wasn't the the real October crisis when I was born, which did throw the world into um, disarray and it's never Wait been the same. We can't prove that, but somehow my birth has something to do with climate change, I think. But um, no, this October crisis is... Um, it's the the culmination of years of uh, terrorist activity by this um, group in Quebec called the FLQ, the Front de Libération du Québec, um, which was an anti-capitalist such a nice French accent. Thanks. I actually don't know if any um, French or Quebecois people would ever say that about me, but um, I appreciate you saying that. I can guarantee you I would butcher it a lot worse. No. So. Well, I'm Good literally job. in French <laughs> classes like constantly. So if I couldn't basically okay. say it decently well. Wah, wah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so this group, the FLQ, they were uh, this anti-capitalist, um, sovereigntist group. So they wanted independence for Quebec, um, and yeah. they wanted to reject the influence of, of the Canadian government that they saw as this, you know, colonial incursion, um, into Quebec sovereignty. And they wanted, you know, fairness and justice for Quebec workers who, um, at the time they felt were very mistreated, especially compared to Anglophone workers in the province. So, so that, that's the FLQ in a nutshell. They were initially kind of this centralized group, like we'll get into the details of it later. Initially mm-hmm. uh, founded in 1963, kind of as like a, a centralized body, right? Like with like a leadership and whatever, but the RCMP was pretty effective in, in um, disbanding them right. um, in terms of like arrests and whatever. So after that, they became kind of like a, a decentralized group with affiliates, but no like central hierarchy or anything. Okay. Um, from 1963 to 1970, uh, they organized around 300 bombings of like federal buildings in, in Quebec um, or buildings in, in, in Ottawa. Uh, they organized bank robberies, hijacked planes, assembled uh, like quite a cache of uh, guns and dynamite. So yeah, so they were quite active in terms of using especially like bombings to try and target um, buildings or people to try and send this political message. Um, Mm -hmm. And it did result in, I think, seven people dying in total and uh, several hundred injured, I think, over the course of their activities. Mm -hmm. But uh, the actual October crisis is like kind of the the peak of this activity. So like I said, they were founded in 1963. They were active like all the way into 1970. And it's in October of 1970 that their activity reaches this fevered pitch they kidnap two different bureaucrats. They, they kidnap a, a British diplomat, uh, James Cross. And then a couple of days later, they kidnap Pierre Laporte, who was the deputy premier of Quebec and the minister of labor. And Pierre Trudeau, who was the prime minister at time in power, ends up invoking the War Measures Act, sending in the Canadian Armed Forces to Montreal. 500 people are arrested. And then Pierre Laporte is found dead in the trunk of a car near the Montreal airport on October 17th. So this is the deputy premier of the province, right? Oh my God, that's such intense drama. It it, it is like, it was an intense political crisis. Yeah. And after that, you know, when he was found dead, popular support of the FLQ in Quebec quickly dropped off. Um, The perpetrators were eventually uh, identified and arrested. Some of them were given safe passage to Cuba as part of these negotiations. 
um, in return for the release of the British diplomat who was still alive at the time. Um, and then the, the others were arrested for the, for the murder of Laporte. So that's kind of like in the nutshell, like who the FLQ mm -hmm. were, mm -hmm. like what was leading up to this October crisis when these two uh, like politicians and this, this trade commissioner were, were kidnapped. One of them was killed uh, brutally. And um, yeah, so that's the October crisis, quite like rightly named crisis. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so um, did that make sense to you? It does. I am, um, I'm wrong. And I realize that now I had kind of assumed that the FLQ was the equivalent to the party Quebecois. I'm hearing this now. I'm like, no, nope, right. You're like, not quite. Well, Ooh. we'll kind of get into that with the significance and like the, okay. yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. But like the, 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 the party Quebecois becomes popular immediately after the disbanding of the FLQ, essentially okay. after this okay. event, like in, in 76, they come to power in Quebec right. for the first time, I think. And that's really when, uh, the sovereigntist movement in Quebec is channeled through like more official, legitimate democratic political. means, political okay. means, yeah. rather than like activist, revolutionary, okay. terrorist means, if that makes sense. Yes. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the significance of it, but I don't want to, spoiler no. alert. <laughs> what? Yeah, I'm so, so excited. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we'll get, I want to give you some background now, just to contextualize, like, how did this all come to be? Like, how did this you know, this anti-capitalist group, like how, what was their re relation in terms of, you know, global politics? Like how mm -hmm. did they come to be? What also this, the scene for you a little bit. So, Please do. Um, so background in Quebec at this time. So up until the 1960s, Quebec had been um, relatively conservative, um, strong links with the Catholic church and the Catholic church very much was um, very influential in, in Quebec society in charge of education, in charge of uh, a lot of administration of, of healthcare and a bunch of other things. Um, and so it, it was seen uh, like as a, as a powerful institution, right? And it's at the start of the 60s that you get what's called as the, the quiet revolution, which you might have heard of in, in Quebec. I think mm -hmm. the Revolution Tranquille or something, I think is the French translation under um, liberal premier Jean Lesage. Um, basically, there, it's a whole bunch of major reforms in Quebec, but you have, you know, education is secularized and an increase of, of funding by the state for, for schools. Um, uh, Hydro-Quebec becomes a state monopoly and, and the largest employer in, in the province. Um, you got the, the introduction of universal health care in the province and a pension plan. Um, so th there's a whole bunch of shifts. Economic they changed and their license plate, too. Oh, did they? Yeah, that's why I think when it started saying Jimmy Souvien. Oh, okay. During that. Interesting. But cool. Yeah. I didn't Fun know stuff. that. Um, so yeah, so this big sh like cultural shift, um, yeah. trying to, I guess, like intentionally make Quebec quote unquote modern and secular. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of, that's like the background, right? If we're thinking that the FLQ emerges in the 1963, this is all this, this choir revolution is happening at the same place. Um, otherwise, um, in Quebec, I think I might have alluded to this, but there's at this period in the 60s, there's a large pay gap between Anglophones and Francophones, even though Anglophones are demographically a, a minority in Quebec, they, they uh, are disproportionately wealthy compared to Francophones. So Francophones on average um, are paid 34% less than their Anglophone counterparts. Oh, I would um, have thought the opposite. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Um, and so uh, many of them, you know, live in not 
all by any means, but many live in like unsafe housing, um, mm-hmm. uh, like in some kind of unplanned suburb communities. And we'll see that becomes important in, in the membership of the FLQ. Um, but th- there's just generally a sense that like there's this economic marginalization of Francophone people and that there's this concentration of power in people who are either Anglophone or bilingual and that the like mm-hmm. the uh, Francophone c- community in Quebec ha- has been marginalized. So that's kind of the, the context of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, more broadly, also, we have to think about the fact, like, not to get too much into, like, Confederation history, <laughs> but, like, we also have to think, like, okay, like, Quebec came out of, like, New France, this colony, um, mm-hmm. like, of France, and there was also, like, um, you know, the, the British colonies as well. Eventually, um, New France came under British rule with the Treaty of Paris and the Royal Proclamation of 1763, um, which is when uh, Quebec becomes, like, a formal British possession, and then 1867, it joins in Confederation in Canada um, under this kind right. of federal government um, that is seen to be kind of British, right? So there's yes. there's like this history of colonization of, of uh, North America uh, by these two powers. And then eventually Quebec kind of comes under, the French colony comes under power of, of the British colonial yeah. rule. That makes sense. So that's obviously really simplified, but there's a, there's a sense. There's, a <laughs> there's sense, no nuance to it. That's just how no. it went. <laughs> but there's a sense like amongst even today, but in this period as well in the 60s, that Quebec, even though like France obviously colonized um, what's now Canada and like Mm -hmm. the indigenous peoples that were living here, um, there was a sense that Quebec had been colonized by the British, if that makes sense. Like they they very much saw themselves as like the victims of um, colonization, even though they themselves were perpetrators of colonization. Um, So so that's kind of another dimension to all this. And then like what else is happening in the 60s and the 70s, a whole lot of shit, obviously, you know, you have second wave feminism, civil rights movement around the world, sexual liberation movements, Mm -hmm. Vietnam War and the massive protests in the US against Mm -hmm. them. You have um, the May 68 uprisings in France too, these largely student-led protests um, and the Cold War. So there's like lots going on, revolutions in the air everywhere. Um, Mm -hmm. You have like these uh, power struggles between communist capitalist centers. Um, yeah, so that's kind of, that's, that seems kind of like a random smattering of things, but they'll come in, I think, as we go through the details of like yeah. the, um, the FLQ and who they are and how they came to be. Any questions, Margie? Not yet. I am okay. so hyped. I, cause okay. we were talking about this, but at least in like my Canadian history classes, we don't learn or like, you're right. Like there was like maybe a paragraph about the FLQ or yeah. something, but I really know nothing about any of this and I yeah. should because it happened it like not that long ago in our own country but no I feel totally <laughs> the same I knew like very little about it the only reason I knew something about it was because and we'll talk about it there was a big debate in the house of commons on it in October mm-hmm. led okay. by the Bloc Quebecois and so um that's where I knew a little bit about of it but I didn't know much more until I had to research it for this so so that was kind of the that's the background that's like the situation in Quebec I guess um, like in the 60s that we can think about, like this quiet revolution, um, the poor economic conditions for many Francophones and, and a sense of resentment towards the Anglophone minority who are wealthier, who are also seen in many ways as colonizers, even though, of course, the, the Francophones were, were colonizers too. Um, and then these revolutionary movements around the world at the same time. So we can get into a little bit more of the details about like the FLQ themselves and, and their membership and like how they came to be. And then mm-hmm. I'll get into like the timeline of events in the actual October crisis. So yes. um, if that, if that works for you. 
You know, you're kind of doing like a true crime thing today. Am I? Yeah, like this could in a way be like. Yeah, it kind of is. Like Pierre Laporte dies and then it's like, go back. Like you're kind of covering almost like what people who like those murder podcasts like. (laughs) I didn't even know. But I mean, I guess like Pierre Laporte's murder is like very much solved. So it's like. Like it, it wasn't like, hmm, who done it? It's like, <laughs> yeah, okay. It's like we kind of knew, but it's <laughs> anyway. not a massive investigation. No okay. shade. Um, <laughs> so yeah, okay. So to talk a little bit more about the FLQ, um, like I said, they're um, they're this liberation revolutionary group in Quebec. They're in, initially interested mostly in sovereignty for the province. They mm-hmm. they don't initially have such like a, a Marxist communist orientation. But um, they're initially interested in sovereignty. They're founded in 1963, like I said. They're this kind of singular group with a hierarchy. But the RCMP plants informants, arrests a bunch of the founding members. And so there's an intentional attempt following that to decentralize their group. So it's a lot harder to disrupt them, right? So people are kind Mm -hmm. of uh, affiliates of the group, but it's not like there's any strict membership. There's not like a clear hierarchy of like, this person is in charge and calls all the shots. And this is right. If that makes sense. Like it's, and that decentralization becomes important in the kidnappings of Pierre Laporte and James Cross, because they were actually kidnapped by two separate cells, like two separate groups of people affiliated with the FLQ. It wasn't necessarily like, it was one person calling all the shots and coordinating all these kidnappings, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm So, um, yeah, like I said, their um, uh, sovereignty movement, um, they took issue with this, this wealthy Anglo minority um, and, and the disparity between the, the Francophones and the Anglophones. And like I mentioned, there's this grievance that Quebec has been colonized. They, they want sovereignty. They want control over language, culture, um, all those things. And they're, they're also inspired by um, Cuban and Algerian revolutionary movements that happened around the oh, same time. Yeah. So in Cuba from 1953 to 58, you have um, Fidel Castro's 26th of July movement, which is uh, communist against the U.S.-backed military military dictatorship under Fulgencio Batista. And in Algeria from 1954 to 62, you have this Algerian revolution, this mm-hmm. war between France and the Front de Libération Nationale um, there as well, and, and they eventually mm-hmm. won independence. So, um, and then there's all these other movements that I'm talking about too. But um, that's some of the, the the context there. Like I mentioned, so initially they're not really Marxist. By 1966, there's kind of this shift to Marxism under uh, a member of the FLQ, Pierre Vaillier, um, who is seen as kind of like one of the the ideological leaders of the group. He goes on to write this very famous um, book that uh, is still today very popular in Quebec. And it's Mm -hmm. the translation is the white and words of America. Okay. Um, so he sees the Quebecois as being comparable to the status of Black people in the United States at the same time. Um, and so, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, t- today, that's obviously, I think, a lot more, um, like, very contested. And, and the use of that that slur by a white man, heavily contested, of course, and, and problematic. Um, at the time, he felt justified. He said, you know, they're... Uh, you know, Quebecers couldn't be racist. There weren't, um, they couldn't really mistreat Black people because there weren't really Black people in Quebec, which was also false because there was um, like quite a, a history of, of Black activism in Quebec and in Montreal particularly. So um, false on several fronts, but 
he's seen as like kind of this, this ideological leader. He okay. develops all these links with actually um, American black power movements. So there's correspondence between him and Stokely Carmichael um, and, and other influential thinkers. So um, anyways, so he's kind of responsible for this turn towards um, towards Marxism in, in the group. They see themselves as, you know, like rebelling against their, their Anglo um, supervisors in factories and, and in other workplaces for more just conditions and, and whatever. And, and they see themselves linked to this kind of global communist movement, if that makes sense. Like I mentioned, they target like several um, buildings, like symbolic federal buildings and places leading up to the, the October crisis in 1970. So, you know, they, they targeted um, federal government buildings, they targeted military bases, they often got their bombs from dynamite that they stole from construction sites. Like if you're wondering like how they actually right got okay. the bombs they would steal dynamite a lot um right. targeted uh, department stores and then in 1969 one of their biggest bombings they targeted the montreal stock exchange which thankfully no one was killed but 27 people were injured and, and mo- most of the building was destroyed so that was seen as one of like oh their God. their their major attacks yeah and so then in 1969, kind of right before the, the October crisis comes to pass, there's the emergence of these two cells um, of the FLQ. And so, like I said, they're not, um, there's no like central hierarchy, but right, they, there's right. kind of these two affiliate groups with separate membership that are separately organizing and um, to try and commit these kind of acts. So one of them is the um, the liberation cell or the liberation cell, which is Jacques Lanteau, uh, Louise Lanteau, her husband, Jacques uh, Cosette Trudel, Marc Renault, several others. Um, and the liberation cell is the one that goes on to kidnap the British guy, James Cross, the, the British mm-hmm. diplomat. And then this other, this other cell, um, Chen, the Chenier cell, um, which was with the, the Rose brothers and um, this, this guy, Simard, um, they go on to kidnap Pierre Laporte and end up eventually killing him. So that's kind of the the I guess the two main groups you have to think about this yeah. Liberation cell, which is responsible for James Cross's kidnapping, and the Chenier cell, which is responsible for Pierre Laporte's kidnapping. And did uh, each death. cell know that the other cell was going to do that, or did they just happen to both kidnap people at the same? So there definitely was. Um, I don't know how much coordination, but they definitely like they they didn't plan it necessarily. Like one, we're going to kidnap this guy, and then this guy. I think mm-hmm. they noticed mm-hmm. that. Like obviously the that James Cross was kidnapped first, um, and yeah. that spurred on the second cell to then kidnap Pierre Laporte. Because actually right, members right. members of the Chenier cell who kidnapped Pierre Laporte, one of them wasn't even in Canada at the time when the first kidnapping took place, oh, okay. and then he saw it and then flew back to Canada. Then they orchestrated this kidnapping. So okay. from my understanding, I'm sure there was communication. I, I, I couldn't find any clear information about that, um, so, but I'm sure there was some kind of communication. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, uh, so, so yeah, that answers the question. And then in terms of like generally who these people were, some of them grew up in, um, this neighborhood, this kind of unplanned suburb in Montreal called, um, Ville-Jacques-Cartier, um, which is this unplanned suburb. They had no paved sidewalks or roads, no water, like running water, no sewers. A lot of the houses were really ramshackle, built with like tin. Um, so that was like, say, uh, I think the Rose brothers who were part of the Chenier cell grew up there. Um, and just mm-hmm. like nearby, there was this other English speaking suburb, Saint-Lambert, which was much um, was like a much more comfortable suburb, you know, had all those things that this um, this Francophone suburb did not. So a lot of the the, the members of the Chenier cell, I, I think, attribute 
or, or talk about like this that class difference between those two suburbs and it's linked to, to uh, language and culture as being one of the mm. things that radicalize them to to violence or maybe them think about right. it and, and a lot of these uh, people working in these um in these low-income suburbs worked in factories and most of the supervisors or the bosses in these factories were anglo or bilingual the workers were french so again there's that sense right. of like um kind of class struggle um yeah, so, so like I said, Rose, the Rose brothers who are part of the Shinye cell and Smart grew up there, as did Pierre Vallier, who's this kind of ideological founder of the group. They all grew up in this very poor, um, this poor neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Some, though, were, were like wealthy, higher educated um, francophones right. as well. So it wasn't like um, these people who had come from really like tough circumstances and had been yes. radicalized. It was also the leadership was also very much there were some members who were higher educated at higher class and more broadly like the, the support that they had societally a mm -hmm. lot came from students there was massive student support okay. for um the flq and support right. more broadly so so right. it wasn't just like i don't want to oversimplify and be like it was no. just like a working class movement like there there were also you know um higher income educated people who were um in, involved in the flq yeah. as well so that's kind of the that's the, the overview of like, I guess, who they are, how they came to, came to be, their turn to, to Marxism. Any questions about that? And then we can get timeline. No, no, I'm good so far. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we can talk now about like the, like October, 1970 and kind of the, the mm -hmm. day by day, what happened. So like I mentioned, there's, you know, these the series of bombings in, and I should say, not just in Montreal or in Quebec, trying to like, um, target buildings that are seen as an incursion on Quebec, but there was also, I think, two bombings in Ottawa and, and other locales too. So okay. it, it wasn't, it was mostly Quebec-based, their bombings, yes. but there was one woman was killed in a bombing in Ottawa and there was another bombing, um, I can't remember who, I think of, of a, a bureaucrat in Ottawa. So um, and there was-, was it like um was it like Quebec City or Montreal or was it like kind of all over? It was mainly Montreal based. There were, right. I think, okay. some activities in Quebec, but I think that the majority was in Montreal. And that's where okay. you ended up getting the um, the armed forces deployed was in Montreal. So as most right. most of the conflict is happening in in um, in Montreal. But so I guess the, the point of all that is just to say, like, there's a sense that this has been going on for a while. There's a sense that like. Uh, people in Ottawa are even at risk, right? And even like, say, mm -hmm. you know, the prime minister or other government officials could be at risk or, or civil right, servants could right. be at risk. Um, there's a sense perhaps of escalation because there's been this Montreal stock exchange attack where um, most of the building is destroyed in 1969 and like many people are injured. So there's a sense that I think the movement is, um, is not slowing down, if that makes sense. And then the October crisis is the culmination. October 5th, 1970, you have uh, members of the liberation cell disguising themselves as delivery men and they kidnap British Trade Commissioner James Cross. So they end up giving the Quebec government 24 hours to comply with a whole series of requests. So um, they want, say, safe passage to either Cuba or Algeria. They want $500,000. Uh, and they want the release of a whole bunch of uh, FLQ uh, prisoners or FLQ, I guess, members who are affiliated with the FLQ who were imprisoned over the course of their activities um, over those past seven years. So that's part of their motivation for this kidnapping is tr yeah. to try and like get like a kind of hostage swap situation, right? We'll give you James right, Cross back. Right. You give us back all our, our political uh, prisoners or comrades or whatever. So was there a particular reason that they chose him or was it just like convenient? 
I'm not sure, like, I couldn't find anything about their specific motivations. Right. Like, okay. I think high level, I think, obviously, the fact he's British is significant mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's, like, a representation of, like, colonial incursion, of course, yes. if they see themselves as being colonized by the British. So I think yes. there is that dimension to it. Um, so, yeah. So I, I'm not entirely sure. I couldn't find, like, clearly what their yeah, motivations yeah. were. So they so they they put forward all these these requests. They say the Quebec government has 24 hours to comply. The P- Quebec government rejects uh, the the terms of the negotiations, mm-hmm. um, and 30 people are arrested in the days following by the police to try and like crack down on this. But negotiations with Quebec continue because they're open to negotiation. They don't like end up harming James Cross or anything. They continue to negotiate, and then okay. on October 8th they release their manifesto. Um, and it's like broadcast by uh, Radio Canada, CBC across the country. And I'll just read you a little quote because I thought it's like interesting and, and it kind of shows, I guess, their ideological position. Yeah. Um, so this is the English translation. Uh, the Front de Libération du Québec is neither the Messiah nor a modern day Robin Hood. It is a group of Quebec workers who are determined to use every means possible to ensure that the people of Quebec take control of their own destiny. The Front de Libération de Québec wants total independence for Quebecers, united in a free society, and purged for good of the clique of voracious sharks, the patronizing big bosses, and their henchmen, who have made Quebec their private hunting ground for cheap labor and unscrupulous exploitation. So you can kind of get there a sense like the economic <laughs> grievance, right, yes, and the Marxist yeah. uh, orientation, and also like the sense of like um, colonial imposition and like fighting against like the yeah, the, the federal government and incursion on uh, yes. Quebec sovereignty. So that's released on, on the 8th. Um, okay. Is, is like, ends up getting like, I think a thousand uh, students in, in Montreal endorsing their manifesto. So right. important political document kind of running alongside all this. Yeah. Negotiations continue um, October 10th, which is the, the, the new deadline that I guess this the liberation cell gives the Quebec government. Just mm-hmm. before that, the, they hit the deadline, the Quebec justice minister commits to giving the group free passage out of the country, but okay. won't meet their other demands. And so, you know what? That's not bad. Which doesn't seem bad, honestly. Um, free trip to Cuba. Well, like, that's okay. the thing. Like, they, yeah, they think, yeah, they, that's what they, they want. That same day, you have the Chenier cell, which right. is, um, like I mentioned, the Rose brothers, um, this guy Simard, this guy Bernard Lordy. They mm-hmm. kidnap the deputy premier of Quebec, who's also the labor minister, Pierre Laporte, right. while he's playing football on his front lawn with his nephew. Oh, that's terrifying. It is quite terrifying, obviously. Um, and I think they found his address from the phone book of all places. That's no, how they, no, which no, is, that's why we um, don't use phone books anymore. Yeah, so obviously like different <laughs> times, right? But yeah. Um, yeah, so they end up kidnapping um, uh, Laporte. And that's, I think, when there's a sense of like this escalating, obviously, because it's one thing, I think, to kidnap oh, yeah. uh, a British diplomat, which is very serious, but to kidnap yes. the, a, a minister of the provincial government and uh, the deputy premier, right? Like that's yes, very concerning. So on October 11th, the Chenier cell communicates to the Quebec government that they'll kill Laporte in 24 hours if the government doesn't meet all the demands, which are very similar to the liberation cells uh, demands about the political prisoners and safe passage and mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. The government says, no, we won't uh, abide by that timeline, but we are willing to negotiate. So the Chenier cell backs off um, from killing Laporte immediately. Okay. On October 12th, uh, Pierre Trudeau, like I mentioned, Liberal Prime Minister at the time, 
He deploys the Canadian Armed Forces in Ottawa to try and protect high-risk targets or people because there's a sense, obviously, like if these kidnappings are happening in Montreal, there's been attacks in Ottawa recently and someone did die in a bombing recently in Ottawa that, you know, they might also target. Who's next? Who's next, right? And it could target the the prime minister or someone else. So um, they deploy these, these, uh, the Canadian Armed Forces and um, Quebec and uh, this Chenier seller negotiating as well. Um, October 13th, the next day, there's there's questions about, you know, is there going to be military deployment in Quebec? And there's yeah. this famous Trudeau line that you might have heard. Um, if you know, like, I think it's it's kind of famous in this, this context is um, a journalist asks him on October 13th, they say, you know, how far are you going to go vis-a-vis military deployment in Quebec? Like, are you going to send in the army? Like, what are you going to do? And he says, just watch me. So that's kind of, yeah, like kind of a, that's um, a powerful statement. <laughs> it is. It, it, it really is. So, um, so that's kind of, that's like an iconic line from this whole crisis is him saying, just watch me. That's October 13th. And then October 15th, the Quebec government asks for uh, armed force assistance as does the mayor. So that's key mm-hmm. in this is like, it's not like, um, Trudeau was just unilaterally sending in the military yeah. at the time. That same afternoon, you have 3,000 university students gather for a rally in support of the FLQ and requesting the government to meet demands. So up until this point, there is actually popular support. Uh, Not, Mm -hmm. of course, like, it's not like complete support in Quebec, but there is significant support, especially among students for the actions of the FLQ. Um, I just, you know, I'm picturing for myself if this was happening during our era. Right. I get all the demands. I get what they were fighting for, sure. As soon as we started kidnapping, I think I'd probably back off of the protest. I'd be like, you know what? I'm not going to rally this time. I'm going to sit back because I don't know how I like this. Yeah. No, but I think like, I think it kind of does show like how much more radical student movements were at the time or like just how much more radical the politics were, right? Like, yes. Like, I I think it's, yeah, because I'm totally the same. Like, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a university, maybe I'm wrong, but I think you'd be hard pressed to find a university in Canada where you'd have thousands of students coming out for support when a group has, you know, killed several people and has then kidnapped yes. a politician. Like I, I, yes. I, but different times. Right. And, and there's this kind yeah. of sense of, of um, uprising and revolution, I think around the world more generally. So, so there's this, this rally on October 15th, uh, uh, later that night, the Quebec government agrees to release some of the FLQ prisoners on parole, and they grant both the cells safe passage to Cuba or Algeria, or they, they commit to mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. And the critical thing about the rally is that in the imagination, I think of like the Canadian public, um, probably the, the Anglo-Canadian public more so than the Quebec public, there is that sense of, of um, real concern that, you know, if they're kidnapping people, and after all this violence, there's still this many people gathering together in support of the FLQ yeah. that it might present a real security threat um, right. to the to country. The rest of okay. And so, and there's a sense too amongst even the cabinet and the prime minister that 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 rally is is also really significant in their minds. Um, right. As 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 a concern that this might continue to build and, and you might have a full on uprising in the in the coming right. weeks. Right. Okay. So the next day on October 16th, that's when you have the War Measures Act invoked by Trudeau, mm-hmm. um, and it's used to give police really wide dis- discretion to conduct arrest. It suspends what's called habeas uh, corpus, which is, you know, the, the right that someone has that when they're arrested or detained for, for that detention to be reviewed by a court and released if, if found arbitrary. So a lot of kind of basic 
um, civil liberties are abrogated yes, are suspended with the War Measures Act. And it's the yeah. first time that it, it had ever been used in peacetime. Yeah. Um, so very, very significant. Um, widely supported initially, both in Canada and in Quebec. So 89% of Anglophones were in support of it and 86% of Francophones were in support of it. Oh, um, damn. So, okay. so it was a very popular move at the time, even right. though the leaders of the other parties in the House of Commons roundly denounced it and saw it as like a as an incursion on civil liberties so i think there were it, it was it, it was very interesting i think at the time that like yeah. popularly people were like yes we need help like get this under control yeah and politicians were saying i don't know if this is like the right move someone was saying you know it's like using a hammer to crack a nut i can't remember which politician was okay. saying it, but there was okay. a sense that there wasn't a need to institute the War Measures Act and abrogate right. all these civil liberties because it, it wasn't merited at the time. Okay. Um, okay. So there's kind of this, this debate. Um, it's also used to, uh, the War Measures Act is also used to retroactively ban the FLQ. And so anyone with, with connections to the group or membership in the group was subject to arrest immediately. Okay. So in the following days after this, this institution of the War Measures Act on October 16th, you have 497 people arrested like later on, after all the arrests, only 62 end up with criminal charges and only 18 are convicted. So oh, okay. we'll talk a little bit about it later, but there's a sense to this day in Quebec that um, this suspension of civil liberties was was really a, a violation of human rights and that many, many Quebecois people were detained without real reason by the police, were, were um okay people on average were detained for seven days, some people as long as three months um, without, oh. they didn't have to give reason, right, as to why people right. were being detained. Right. Um, okay. Academics, journalists, students, like a whole range of people. And there was a sense that there was, you know, physical and psychological abuse by the police as part of these arrests. Right. So that becomes, that is very politically salient to this day. And we'll talk about that later, but that's kind of the, the consequence of the, the War Measures Act being instituted. Mm -hmm. The next day, is the day that Pierre Laporte is found dead in the trunk of a car near the Montreal airport. He'd been strangled to death. And right. it's after that, that the FLQ's support in Quebec and federally, even though it was to a far lesser extent, uh, that it really took a huge hit after that, that when they, yeah. when they killed him. So that's like the, the kind of the, the October crisis itself. Do you have any questions about that? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, that makes yeah. sense. So after that happened, then the other cell, they released their British guy? Yeah, okay. so so that's October. And then um, yeah. what happens after James Cross, uh, so this British diplomat, he's held for 62 days. Um, and then a deal is struck with the government because his captors were um, were found, basically. Like the people who, the, the um, liberation cell who kidnapped him, several members of that cell were arrested by the government. So okay. a deal is struck with the government that they, his five captors can be uh, granted safe passage to Cuba if he's released unharmed, right. um, which he was. And he even said, um, I think he said that they were, he described them as being very courteous and polite. Um, oh, which is which is funny and there's like a photo of him playing cards or solitaire actually like a, a famous photo of him playing solitaire James he must Cross. not have heard the news that the other man was murdered well I think he was like, probably very thankful that I guess he he wasn't harmed right, right? or he didn't experience right. any kind of violence um so he had been kept in a in a Montreal apartment for, okay um so his captors are are granted safe passage to Cuba but in the following decades they end up returning to Canada and then are then oh. charged with kidnapping 
why have, would they ever return see i try to find that there's not the issue with this crisis is there's far less written in english than there is in french and so i was mostly <laughs> reading yeah yeah so i was mostly reading english commentary so i, I didn't get into like the what were their motivations for returning like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i was speculating maybe it has to do with the fact like you know you've moved to this country where you have no people no relation to the culture um you, yeah. you you know what I mean you, you might not speak the language um you don't have any money or relate right like it, it's a very difficult yes, yeah. position to be in and in fact the um I can't remember who it was but two of the members of this cell who fled to Cuba had a small child too so like imagine oh, trying to raise okay. a kid like it, I think it would be very difficult so yeah they end up returning to Canada face kidnapping charges um and then, so just for the timeline, if you're curious, on uh, November 6th, that's when they arrest Lortry, who's part of um, the Chenier cell, who kidnapped Laporte. On December 2nd, uh, two members of the Liberation cell, Jacques-Cosette Trudel and Louise Lanteau, they're arrested December 2nd. They uh, negotiate there and the rest of the, the Liberation cell's passage to Cuba in return for Cross's release. Um, mm-hmm. So he's released around then. And then it's at the end of December in uh, 20, in not 2018, in 1970. <laughs> <laughs> so confused. I'm like falling apart here. Um, December 28, Paul and Jacques Rose, so the, the Rose brothers and Francis Samard, who were involved in Pierre Laporte's kidnapping and, and murder, they're arrested. They're found and arrested okay. December 28th. So, okay. um, so if it makes sense, the liberation cell, the ones who are involved in James Cross's arrest, because mm-hmm. they negotiated safe passage, they end up going to Cuba, coming back right. in the later decades, getting like a couple kidnapping charges, but um, relatively minor sentences. Oh, okay, the, okay. The Chenier cell who were involved in Laporte's kidnapping and murder, yes. they were never, they never ended up getting passage to Cuba. Thank they God. were charged in Canada for um, yeah. kidnap and murder, got life sentences. Yes. Um, so... So yeah, kind of deservedly I mean, so. You yes, know? yeah. So yeah. that's like that's I guess like the quick and dirty of like the October crisis and then the months that follow in terms of the arrests, what happens after. Right. Um, okay. But uh, but yeah. Good job, Sam. Oh my Thanks. gosh, isn't that so? Like I just can't even. Can you imagine living through that? Like I just can't even fathom like, it. The seventies are just like the sixties and seventies are just an insane time frame to me totally like, like so much social upheaval and change and yes and you're right the fact that like students were still showing up after like several bombings and kidnappings and like, yeah. people had died and they're still showing up it's like we were all very radical yeah well and that's the thing like I think that's that truly I can't remember what the quote was but there's quotes from members of the cabinet some some of whom who didn't agree with the war measures act mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. there really was a sense like okay, if you have thousands of people willing to show up after yeah. like the deputy premier of the province has been kidnapped, like how far will they go? How long will yes. this continue? Like, are we going to have a full on, you know, rioting against the, the government yes. and insurrection? Yeah. Like there was real concern. So, yeah. um, and I mean, there's like, I'm, like I said, there's huge debate to this day around the use of the war measures act, if it was appropriate, if it's violation of civil rights was was justified or not a lot of people in Quebec think no and think that um a lot of people were unfairly detained and abused at the hands of police mm-hmm. um which certainly like factually is true um and their and yeah, their, their yeah. rights to due process were abrogated by the use of the war measures mm-hmm. act so mm-hmm. there's kind of an interesting divide there's people who think you know it, it was justified to use yeah. the war measures act to try and get things under control and and you know the premier and the, the mayor had said we want you to to 
to, to help us and to send in the military. Um, and then there's the other side who say, you know, it was an, an unjustified use of the War Measures mm-hmm. Act and it resulted in the violation of a bunch of human rights. So that's yes. kind of the two, right. two takes on it to this day. Yeah. How is your food? Have you tried? <laughs> okay, I can tell you about my donut and then you just took a bite of your cupcake. I want to give you Please. time to think of your review. Please, okay, yeah. Okay, so donut time. They mm-hmm. are very yummy donuts. They have like nice chew and texture to them and they're not like super heavy with like oil or grease or anything. Right, okay. And the flavors are very yummy. Like the honey lavender one is very subtle, which is nice because mm-hmm. I find sometimes lavender can get very soapy very quickly. Right, right, right. So that's nice. I will say the one I had yesterday, there was a mango one. The mango one packs a punch. So if you like mango, I may like go for that option. Mm. But um, What do you mean by packs a punch? Like when you, I find oftentimes with mango, you bite into it. And unless you were told it was mango, you wouldn't know what fruit it was. Oh, but, but this, this one is like, clear. It's very clear. Like it is like a very flavorful mango, like frosting on top right, or okay. like glaze. So right. um, it is yummy. I will say though, I think that I still prefer the donuts from there there more, like the mochi mm. donuts. Right, right, right. Just because these ones are yummy, but there's nothing so spectacular about them that I I wouldn't go out of my way again. Right. Like I I wouldn't like I just it's good. It's right. good. But if there there was closed, you'd maybe go there. You'd yeah. Go to- or if someone like maybe if I was like you were around and I was mm-hmm. taking you somewhere like so this place would have more options that I think you would prefer okay interesting yeah so more kind of a general more general they have like more chocolatey ones or like right. sugar ones or salted caramel glaze like they have a lot of really yummy options right 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 there's just nothing so spectacular about them mm, I guess I they're just okay. very yummy cool cool, so. cool. okay okay cupcake review um okay so let's go I'm gonna say the buttercream icing is yes. good. I wish it was a little creamier. I think that's a personal oh, preference. Okay. Okay. But I, I like that it's very light, which is good if you like more of like a light um, no, I was I want dressing. It to yeah, but like if you've ever had Crave cupcakes in Calgary, like to me, they have the most perfect icing, okay. respectfully. Okay. And so yes. I, I just feel like it's not as creamy as I want. But if you want something lighter, I think it would be good. Okay. Um, and it's not like, I know you and I have had cupcakes where like literally the icing is like butter. It's thank God yes. it's not that either. So okay, good. Okay. it's, it's like, matter. it's tasty. <laughs> it's, it's tasty. Yes. And then the, um, the cake itself. Good. Mm-hmm. I wish it was a little moister. But, okay. Okay. But it's still good. So yeah. And it's, it is like, what is surprising is that it for a birthday cake cupcake is a chocolate cake base. Mm-hmm. It's not like a vanilla base with like sprinkles. I definitely could have misread it. Like there's that's fully oh. within the world of possibility. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure that's what the sign said. It has little sprinkles on it. But no, that makes um, sense. Like, but normally I associate birthday cake with vanilla cake. I was a person like two or three weeks ago who saw an everything scone that I thought was going to be poppy seed. And it was an everything scone. <laughs> so like it, it's like, let's be real. It's quite possible that I misread the sign. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But so overall, good. I would say I'm happy with that. Right. Okay. I think we're at the same playing field. Yes. We, we like it. We're not like obsessed, but like there's, yes. I don't know for me, there's nowhere really else around here. I would get cupcakes. I don't think so. I probably, okay. if, I was, if that makes sense. If you but, needed a cupcake. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. Do we want to chat about significance? Yeah. Let's do it. 
<laughs> okay. Um, so much I could say on this. As I always feel there's so much to say. Um, I mean, like uh, the significance immediately following the the October crisis in 1970, and I think we talked about it at the start of the podcast. In 1976, the Party Quebecois comes to power as like, yes. a, a sovereigntist party. Um, mm-hmm. And in 1980, you get the first referendum in Quebec on sovereignty that doesn't um, pass, obviously. But um, yeah, my dad voted in it. Your dad voted in it? Yeah, he was like in Montreal all the time. He was pro separation. Shut up. I didn't know that. <laughs> That's yeah. so, there were, I honestly, I don't think there could be a more interesting time to be alive in Quebec than to like oh, no, to yeah. live through that holy okay that's so interesting <laughs> and especially because like at the time he would have been young so it's like I'm sure a lot of young people were probably pro-separate yeah you know, like totally totally for fun <laughs> that's so interesting okay so yeah so there's so there's this big like shift I think we talked about to like politics as a way to litigate these sovereignty issues rather than like violence yeah basically yes. um mm-hmm. and like it, if you take like a longer view of like the the importance of like sovereigntist politics and, and nationalist politics in Quebec, like they've actually been very successful. If you think of like the goals of um, the FLQ, like they increase provincial autonomy, they really mm-hmm. reduce the pay gap between Anglophones and Francophones. Good. French is the official language of business um, and government. Yes. So they've, they've been very effective at, um, at changing the power relation, I guess, between the federal government and the provincial government in Quebec. Um, are they part of the reason that we went bilingual, like that we became a, like officially bilingual country? I'm not sh- like, I'm not sure if the Parti Québécois, like, I, I don't know enough about Quebec politics to say that, yeah. but I'm sure like, yeah, in the, in the, the um, constitution negotiations, I'm sure that, that the reason we became bilingual was because of pressure from yes, Quebec okay. like, and, and sovereigntist politics would be my mm-hmm. uneducated take, but I would assume that. <laughs> Right. Hot take. Which would make sense, I guess. Yes. Um, in like the years following after, this is kind of interesting, I think, many of the FLQ members um, who were able to, like who weren't in jail uh, or who came back, um, were kind of reintegrated into Quebec civil society. So Jacques oh. Rose, who was one of the brothers who was involved in like the murder and kidnapping of Pierre Laporte, received a standing ovation at the 1981 Parti Québécois Convention. No. And René Levesque, who was a very uh, popular politician at the time, who was there. René, he, he has like the big comb over. Yeah, yeah. He hated, yeah. like he thought it was so wrong that there was a standing ovation. But like, yeah, there was still contemporary, su- there was support at the time. And okay. I think a lot of it came from the fact there was a sense like of these human rights violations by the federal government that right. that these people were kind of heroes or martyrs or whatever. Um, and there, there were even movements in the late 70s where like Quebec celebrities were calling for the freeing of these political prisoners. Um, mm-hmm. so, yeah. so there was still like, the FLQ was still a topic of conversation in Quebec, yeah. but like we say, it's mostly a shift to politics. And then in a more contemporary sense, like what is the significance of it? Well, this past October was the 50th year anniversary of the October oh, crisis, true. right? Because it was October okay. 2020, 50 years right. after 1970. Easy math. Well, I don't want to <laughs> say easy. I don't want to say easy, but you know, <laughs> add 50. Um, so the the Bloc Québécois, who are like the, the federal um sovereigntist party um it was an opposition day so they could put forth any motion in the house of commons for debate so they put forth this motion at the end of october this past uh, year trying to pass uh, like a, a request for the government to apologize formally for the treatment of quebecois who had been 
um, abused at the hands of police as part of the the War Measures Act. And so it was a big debate. It didn't end up passing, of course. But um, yeah, so so it's still like a a contemporary political issue. And and there's still kind of those two sides that I talked about, like, the War Measures Act was, you know, justified. The pre, the right. premier and the mayor of Montreal were like, please send in the troops. There's that position, right. and then there's the other position that's more like, um, it was an overreach. It was a violation of civil mm-hmm. liberties. It was an incursion on Quebec uh, sovereignty, et cetera, et cetera. And those right. two positions still play out today in, in yeah. federal politics. And the bloc would not bring that motion forward unless they thought it had. Um, popular support right and and yeah, some and yeah, significant support right because like that's in the middle of a pandemic Quebec was doing yes. terribly with it um yeah. like was particularly yeah, hard hit yeah. and so yeah. the fact that they they used an opposition day to to raise that issue I think speaks to the the fact that it's still still a live issue Very for, much for a lot of people and and there's still yeah. like if you look into that there's lots of like books and documentaries that kind of are written more from the perspective of the FLQ or FLQ sympathizers. And so it's still, I guess the event is still being reinterpreted and contested as part of this broader, like Quebec nationalist sovereigntist project. So um, it's quite, it's quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that's really all I have to say about it. I think it's like, I think it's fascinating. Like it's a, it's a watershed moment in national and like federal provincial relations and yeah, just insane. No. To me. That's honestly, because I found out of the very minimal amount that I used to learn about in school, yeah. they wouldn't really tell you what the FLQ was fighting for. Right. And that could have just been because like Western Canadian textbooks probably aren't caring about informing you. Yeah. But it is like interesting to learn because like the, the, the core tenets of what they seem to be fighting for, I'm like, I would agree with that. Right. Just don't like, the I don't agree with their means of doing so but that is interesting no and I didn't know that they were um I didn't know they were like anti-capitalists like that's an interesting kind of like dimension to it that they're part of this like more global kind of communist uprising kind of like in the the backdrops the cold war right like there's so much going on and and that they're they're seeing themselves as like fighting for workers rights and like you said like a lot of the a lot of the stuff they say um Mm -hmm like I is not totally unreasonable they did no. I will say they did call um in their manifesto and I can say it because I'm a gay man um <laughs> but they called him a faggot Pierre oh. Trudeau because there were rumors I guess oh. that he was gay at the time anyway so they were like local okay. homophobic but right um, right and they called him um, oh, they no. called some they called the premier of Quebec a twink anyways but but I also can't tell <laughs> them writing this was like <laughs> it was like a gossip letter they were I know, like, but I, I, I also can't tell like interestingly like if they like if they were gay themselves or had gay members or something oh, and it was part of okay. this like discourse and they're like oh you're a twink yes. and you're a faggot because I'm like what like really straight people would be like calling someone a twink I don't know I just don't know enough <laughs> about the usage of those words at the time right, right, um, okay. but that's just an interesting I don't know why that just made me laugh I guess I have to preface when I say I support their some of their stuff I meant like like equal pay and everything i don't mean like oh, i'm not a communist i'm not a communist oh okay <laughs> i thought you were gonna say i thought you were worried about like being painted as someone who's like pro slurring trudeau or something i thought you were worried about well, being called homophobic. obviously that would concern me too but i hope yeah. by this point <laughs> yeah no one would say that but no. i'm not super pro communist okay okay not okay. that i'm super pro capitalist either but. yeah you're like <laughs> i don't really think any of this shit is working <laughs> yeah but it's just, it's just, yeah, I just like, it was so interesting to watch the, the debate in the house on it. Cause it was like, that would be, yeah. they Like, and like, the, 
Yeah. They both like, have strong arguments on both sides. Like I can fully understand both sides of that argument. Totally. But... Anyways, okay, tell me about so rank rank your food for me. What are, what are you sitting at? I, I feel like in the middle category probably. I think I am middle category. Like um I I'm not guaranteed to go back. Right. But like I might. Right. Um how about you? Uh what is it called? Thumble thimble? Uh thimble cakes. Thimble cakes. You're like thumbelina. Well, it reminds me of Thumbelina. I'm like, little yeah. tiny cakes. I know, so cute. Well, they actually do have really cute, tiny little mini cakes, like cupcakes. Aww. I'm eating like a regular cupcake, but um, I would be in the same category as you. Like, might go back. Like, would definitely mm-hmm. go back if I, like, needed cupcakes or something. Because yeah. they're really close. Yeah, was yummy. But, um, mm-hmm. l- like, we all, like I always say, like, I'm, I usually don't go out of my way to get a cupcake. Like, I, there's yes. not a lot of reasons why I would want to buy that. Um, yes, so yeah. I'm not guaranteed to go back, I will say. Okay. But overall good. <laughs> okay. Anyways, guys, if you um want to review us on Apple, follow us on Spotify, like us on SoundCloud and follow us on SoundCloud, please do so. Um, and also, as Sam always says, please send suggestions our way. If there's any topics you would like covered. I know that Sam is always craving inspiration. So <laughs> please hit I us am. up. <laughs> I'm always desperate for it. <laughs> sounds kind of sad, anything else actually. you want to say no thanks for listening everyone <laughs> um peace and love and we'll talk world. to you all next week yes yeah pe- peace and love bye bye